and the Queen. Solomon and the Queen. So these verses should be pretty familiar to you by now. Dissect them in your mind as we go through them. And uh, those are the subjects for our messages. 1 Kings 10, reading at verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything from the king which told her not. When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendants of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold, and her spices very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such substance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. And there came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. And Solomon and King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whosoever, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. As stated before, but for those that may not have heard us before in these messages, we're looking at this passage of Scripture in a similitude. A similitude is a comparative resemblance. And the comparative resemblance here that we're looking at is Solomon as Christ and the Queen of Sheba as sinners in general. It is a very clear picture for all of us who believe to see in wisdom a type of or a resemblance of Christ. Jesus himself made that connection in Matthew's gospel when he said, a greater than Solomon is here. So having concluded looking at Solomon and the resemblances and characteristics we see in the text of Christ, we are now looking at the queen and we are into verse 2. But notice what we have covered already of the things that have been said of the queen, characteristically also true of sinners. The queen of Sheba, first of all, had heard of the fame or the news of Solomon. She didn't believe it. It was concerning the name of the Lord, so primarily it was his faith, religious devotion, and loyalty that she had heard of, as well as, of course, all the other stuff, which was pretty much material, with the exception of his wisdom, which was a gift from God. So, it was concerning the name of the Lord, and then she came. And we reminded you that all of us as sinners came from the same seed stock, and it is a 
seed stock that is fallen. We're all sinners. We're all unrighteous. So we all come as unbelievers, and we may have come with skepticism, doubting, uh, curiosity, all of the above, whatever, but that describes all of us as sinners. We come as unbelievers. Our desire is that unbelievers would come to the gospel of Christ and leave as believers. That's what we're about as a church and Christians. So she heard, she came, she came to prove with hard questions. And we established this last week, looking through the scriptures about how that so many in the New Testament gospel writers gave us stories and narratives about sinners who came to Christ either totally out of curiosity, seemingly like Zacchaeus, or that came with skepticism like the Pharisees and Sadducees, trying to put riddles, hard questions, philosophical ideas before the Lord that he couldn't answer or get him tricked up into tripping and contradicting himself over his own words. And of course, it never happened. It couldn't happen with Solomon, so it certainly couldn't happen with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Bible has the answers, just as Solomon had all of the answers for the Queen of Sheba. Christ had answers for everybody that tried to trip him up. The problem simply was the same old problem. Sinners don't have faith to believe the truth. Sinners don't have faith to believe what God's record says. But as we left off last week, there's coming a time when everybody will say amen to it in heaven, in hell, wherever. Angels, men, and all. And we concluded, of course, with her words in verse 6 and 7 there, where she says, and this is, I might add, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, then you can easily reflect upon a time when you were an unbeliever, a skeptic, a curiosity seeker, whatever, but you didn't have faith to believe, but you had heard about Jesus, and then by faith imparted to you in the new birth, you believed. Okay? So what made the difference in all the times you heard and didn't believe, and the time you heard and did believe? That's that supernatural work of God, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit that imparts the virtues and graces of faith and repentance into the human heart. And then this is our confession. Is it not yours today? If it is, you can say amen in your heart. She said to the king, it was a true report. <laughs> Every believer says that, right? I mean, that's what we believe in. We acknowledge that the Bible is a true report. It is, as I have emphasized, in short, the record that God has given us of His Son, and of our redemption. And if you're a believer today, you believe that report. You have hope in that report. Christ is your Savior, and you're looking forward to seeing Him someday and be redeemed in this body. So, she said, I found out it was a true report that I had heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. We weren't there to see all that Jesus did. We weren't there to see all God did in the Old Testament. We read about it here in the Bible, and we believe it by faith. We don't need science to prove it. We don't need a scientist to prove it. We don't need the accusations and questions of science falsely so-called. We have faith. And there's plenty of evidence for our faith to rest on. 
from the historical record, the prophetic record, and the experience of being born again and converted by the power of God, the grace of God. Verse 7, she says, I didn't believe it. I heard about it and I didn't believe it. That's your story, isn't it? That's my story. That's where all sinners start. We all start there. We come in this world as unbelievers. And when we hear something from the Bible, we question it or we doubt it, but we don't believe it, you know? Because to believe it is submit to it and embrace it as true. She says, I believe not the words until I came. And you know, every one of us there could fill in the blanks too, wouldn't it? I could say, well, I didn't believe the words until, uh, you know, a Sunday school lesson such and such a time. I didn't believe the words until I went to a revival meeting such and such a time. I didn't believe the record until somebody explained it to me, like Philip and the Ethiopian or something. We all had our untils. And that's when we were converted. And then by faith, our eyes see it. She literally saw everything about Solomon. We don't have to see it. We see Christ by faith. We embrace the things we read about by faith. Just the same faith as Abraham. Remember what it says? Abraham looked for a city not made with hands, made by God. You know, uh, he didn't have to see it to believe it. That's what faith does. You don't have to see it. You have to believe it. And then she says, upon believing, and this again is the marvelous part of every believer's testimony, it was so much more than I ever thought it and heard about. I mean, yeah, I heard about Christ being a Savior and being it, but when I believed upon Him, He is so much more. So much more. And we would literally say as John the Apostle when he closed out the Gospel of John saying, I suppose if all, the, all had been written down, the world couldn't hold all the record. Yes. There's so much to him. <laughs> but guess what? Don't feel shortchanged. We're going to have eternity. Not just to learn about him, but to share it all. Yes. They're going to run out of material in the new heaven and new earth. Christ will be able to fill up, think of this, we'll be able to fill up eternity to our satisfaction. Unbelievable. I just have to fall back on an old thing I heard many, many years ago. What's it going to be like? I can't stand here and tell you because I hadn't been there and don't know and couldn't comprehend it if I had. I couldn't put it in words. But this has always settled my mind real good. Every moment in heaven will be brand new. I like that. I like that. So, she says, Thy wisdom, the half was not told, thy wisdom, prosperity, except the fame which I said, which I heard. And again, the grace of God is abundantly above and all that we ever imagine it could be. The goodness of God, the gifts of God, is it not, believer today, above and beyond what you can comprehend? Even though we experience it every day, we don't understand it, we don't grasp it, we can't embrace it, we can't put our arms around it, we just enjoy it and believe it by faith because He just keeps on giving. That was her testimony, that's ours. And what a wonderful testimony and confession that is. All right, we want to look at verse 2 today. Another characteristic we'd like to apply concerning her and sinners. It says, and we discussed this a little bit at the beginning, 
when we talked about her being from Sheba and perhaps where that was, the distance and all. But it says she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, and that train consists of camels bearing spices, gold, and precious stones. And she came from a very great distance, we believe. And again, this was uh, very primitive travel, very primitive conditions over a great distance and took a long period of time. So just the fact there was great wealth in this train, the word train here kind of gives an indication that it was not just a packed train of commodities, but it also had an army or entourage big enough to protect it from being robbed and secure it till she got there, okay? So again, anybody who's ever took a little trip on foot or with a pack animal or something, and you went a few miles, it automatically lodges in your mind what an excursion this would have been to have traveled what we believe approximately was 1,400 miles. So she came with a great train. That's the phrase we want to develop as far as sinners. When we hear about or the gospel comes to us and we're skeptical of Christ and the gospel or what have you, you know, the bottom line is we all as sinners have some kind of train that we bring with us. And we'll develop that thought. First of all, she was a queen in her own right, wasn't she? I mean, she was the queen of our country. She had the title. She had the power. She had the authority. And so, again, we use that phrase, a king in their own right, a queen in their own right, or what have you. But, you know, when you boil it down to a sinner, we really all, as sinners, think we're kings and queens in our own right, don't we? I mean, because every sinner thinks more highly of themselves than we should. It's part of our human nature, part of our fallen nature, to think that some part of us is better than that same part in other people. Right? I mean, literally there are people who believe they are kings and queens. You know why they're not really kings and queens? They just had not been given the opportunity. But if they had the opportunity, they'd be a greater king or a greater queen or a greater president than the people that have been. Right? I mean, you know, uh, that's the mentality that sinners have. So we like titles. We like nobility. We like positions of honors as sinners and so forth. And, and again, to some degree... As sinners, we just all think we're little kings or little queens, don't we? A great train, it says again. Now, again, this is a, you know, we dwell on this a little bit, loaded down with very valuable things. I mean, in her day, this this is the top of the deal, you know. I mean, this says of these spices that she brought that, again, there was none like them anywhere else. I mean, they were the top, you know. They couldn't be any better had anywhere. Of course, gold could come from a lot of places. Gold is gold no matter where it comes from. Precious stones likewise. But her spices kind of stood out in that regard. So here's this great train of stuff that she's bringing uh, to Solomon in that regard. But again, think about it. Our mentality as sinners is we've got hard questions as skeptics, and also we have a train of sorts. We have stuff that we tend to bring. You know, the gospel comes to us and simply says what? Just come with your sins. That's the message of the gospel. Christ said that, didn't he? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And the inference is naturally that that 
like a camel being laden with these things, that the sinner is laden or bearing uncomfortable burden under the burden of sin. John Bunyan captured it again perfectly in Pilgrim's Progress. And you know, Christian had that bundle on his back, that heavy weight that he could not get off. You know, it's like lots of things on your back. You can't quite reach back there, can you? I mean, you can get to part of it, but you can't get to all of it like you want to. That's why you got to have somebody else really scratch your back. He had that burden attached to him that he could not get rid of. Well, that's sinners, folks. We have the burden of sin, and the gospel says, come. And I'll never forget that. What a marvelous illustration when Christian finally came to the cross, didn't he? What a beautiful picture Bunyan captured there. He came to the cross and saw the crucified Savior on the cross. How did he see him? Saw him by faith in the gospel. And he did exactly what Isaiah said to do. Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. And as his faith given to him of God embraced the crucified Savior. Seeing his blood running out of his side, off of his forehead, out of his feet, out of his hands and everywhere else. And he embraced that by faith. Guess what? that burden came off of him, rolled down the hill back behind him and into a sepulcher or into a grave, never to be seen anymore. If that's not the most beautiful picture of what salvation and conversion is, I don't know what is. I certainly can't improve upon it, but let me tell you, I rejoice in it because that's exactly what I experienced. When I embraced Christ as Savior and was under that burden of sin... I've told you before, I don't mind saying it again, I felt like a helium balloon. I thought I was just going to float to heaven right then and there. That's, that's, that's just my experience. Well, the gospel says come today. If you're a sinner, come with your sins, but don't bring anything else. God don't want anything else you got. God don't need anything else you got. But Christ came for sinners. He came to deal with sin. That's all you need to bring. But the nature of all sinners is not to come with sin, but to come with a lot of other stuff. Isn't that it? Did you try that? I'm sure you have. Every sinner's tried it. One way or another. You brought something first instead of your sins. In all likelihood. I want to read a scripture. I've said this comment before, and I'm going to camp out on it again and remind you. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse 24, we read these words. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, I'm sorry, and verse 24. Jesus says, and this is an answer to the question in the previous verse, are there few that be saved? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Let me give you just a real quick and brief exposition of that. Can I? You know how when you go to an airport and you carry luggage, it's got to be a certain size. Especially if you carry it on. you got a little thing it has got to fit in there, you know. 
That's what Jesus was saying. When you come to the straight gate, when you come to the gospel, when you come to me, don't bring a bunch of baggage that's not going to fit. Can you imagine somebody with a four-foot suitcase trying to get through a two-foot door? Well, that's, you know, but unwilling to let go of it. It's got to go with me. You know what I'm saying? Or again, one of them big suitcases, somebody trying to get it on an airplane and get it up over the overhead deal. You've seen that if you've ever flown an airplane. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. A lot of people are going to try. They want to go to heaven. You know, they want to embrace these things Christ talked about, but they will not be able. And you know what their problem is? You see my hand? You see my fist? They've grasped something that they won't let go of. And until you let go of it, you're not going to get through that wicked gate. You're not going to get through that narrow gate. You've seen it in movies and you've seen it in airports. People tugging with some big bag, some big suitcase, and it's bumping into things, running everything. Boy, they're not going to let go of it, though. That's their stuff, right? Whatever's in there is valuable to them. Well, again, imagine trying to get through a little door with that and just not letting go. I mean, you know, that's sinners. That's sinners. We've all, to some degree, probably went through that struggle. What do you need to do? Let go and just believe. Amen. Come without baggage. And we know that in that baggage, in that suitcase, that every one of us as sinners are holding on to is, you know, what do most people carry in a suitcase? They're probably carrying some kind of clothing, aren't they? Well, guess what? That's what sinners do. We're carrying some form of self-righteousness that we like to put on that we think is going to impress God, don't we? Couldn't be more wrong. Stuff that's valuable to us, but worthless to God. What are the lyrics? Just as I am. Come as you are. Just as I am. Don't bring anything with you. When Jesus said that in Matthew 11, what did he say? Come unto me? He didn't say bring this, bring that, did he? I mean, just come. Sinners, come. And there's all kinds of stuff that you can come with. I want to run through a few of them very quickly today. First of all, let's consider the Jews in Jesus' time. The Jews came with baggage, with luggage, didn't they? And what was it? And what was it that was their downfall? Well, first of all, it was their ancestry, wasn't it? You turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 33. And this was their big problem. This is why they couldn't get in the straight gate. We be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How do you say we will be made free? And Jesus went on talking to them about being a servant of sin and so forth. And uh, he says there in verse 37, I know you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Verse 39, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And again, he's talking about Abraham's faith, not Abraham's blood or DNA there. But again, this is, this is what they camped out on, wasn't it? Was being the seed of Abraham. They were so elevated and proud and arrogant in their own mind. Remember, they would not walk down the street with a Gentile. They'd steer around them. They didn't have nothing to do to them. They were lowlifes. They, they were, you know, that form of self-righteousness that went back to ancestry. And we don't see that so much here. 
But in human history, that goes way back. There's still people today that are so proud of their family name, so proud of their ancestry. Well, what's in that? Because the bottom line is, and this is what I don't get about it, God hath made of one blood all nations for to dwell upon the earth. We all came from the same parents. It may have been a long time ago, and your stock may have been more successful than some other stock, but guess what? We're all related. And the only thing a sinner needs to know, we're all in Adam, and we're all sinners. And it don't matter if one wears a king or a crown or a pearl or what or whatever, and the other don't have nothing, we're all sinners. You know, the Bible just boils us down, don't it? They're all to the same. But... Again, it's always been a thing, and it's still big in places and families, and in this country and what have you, they'll be of such and such stock and such and such breeding and such and such nobility and, you know, all that. Well, that's what people look at. God don't care about none of that. God's not a respecter of persons. But the Jews made a big to-do. Uh, you know, boy, John the Baptist put them in their place on that. Uh, let me turn back here to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. And verse 8, a very easy point to make here. When John was baptizing the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Jews, a lot of them showed up. He says to them, verse 8, in fact, in verse 7, he calls them a generation of vipers. And then in verse 8, he says, bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And that means fruits because of repentance, the effect of repentance. And don't say to within yourself, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you, God's able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So if that's your baggage, your ancestry, thinking that that's going to work for you, then you've got a new thing coming. That's not. God's not going to be impressed with any bit of that. And again, Jesus rebuked these individuals more than anybody else. They were religious hypocrites. But they were big also on not only their ancestry, but what else? In that ancestry was tied up rites and ceremonies, right? Works. They had works of self-righteousness. And it was all in the performing and the doing of things. And you think about this again. How many people are dependent on that? How many people are dependent on that? Well, rites and ceremonies is what's going to... No. That was Jesus' greatest rebukes was to these individuals who literally he called them religious hypocrites. John the Baptist called them a generation of vipers. They were poisonous in that regard. But again, this is a lot of people's baggage. A lot of people's religions, a lot of people's faith is simply the vanity of repeating over and over certain rites, certain ceremonies, uh, certain prayers, and, you know, that's the baggage they're carrying that they think is going to get them to heaven, and they're not going to get there with that. A lot of people put stock in their baptism. Baptism's never saved anybody, never will save anybody. Amen. I mean, there are huge denominations and debates about that question, but baptism has never washed away one sin and never will. And let me tell you also, the thief on the cross didn't need it to be saved. Jesus said, this day will thou be with me in paradise. So that stuff is all self-righteous ancestry and works, and it's baggage. It's a great train, but that train won't take you to heaven. The Gentiles, on the other hand, just as 
just the opposite of the Jews, had not the oracles of God. Good example of that's the Athenians, very educated, right? I mean, there were pagan Gentiles, heathens, savage type Gentiles, and then there were the refined sort of the Athenians, but they were all Gentiles. You know what they all were? Religious idolaters. They had not the oracles of God. And so in Acts 17, Paul says, you're way too superstitious. 22nd, 23rd verses. I saw all these monuments. Oh yeah, you're religious, you're religious, you're religious, but you've got to deal out there to the unknown God. It's all religious idolatry. That's your great train of stuff that you're packing along and bringing. And God was not going to say none of that. So it don't, it don't matter, you know, if the Jews were bound down to King David of the past or if the Gentiles bound down to a totem pole, it don't matter. It's still the stuff they're bringing. And you got to let go of that stuff because it's religious idolatry and God won't have anything to do with any of it. We might add also in there, since we're talking about the Athenians, some of their baggage in the great train they brought, they just thought they were so smart, right? I mean, they were just intellectually knowledgeable and brilliant and, and, and everything. Uh, go back to the Jews, the doctors and lawyers of the law, they were just so smart, right? Was it a help or a hindrance? Well, it can be a help, but to them it was a hindrance. They knew the law in and out and everything about it and upside down and all the prophecies and everything else. But guess what they missed? The Messiah right in front of their very eyes. Blinded, right? So again, this, this, this stuff is a hindrance. This is, this is the stuff that they're bringing. But it's not a ticket. It's a hindrance. It's just that. Now another thing quickly... Let's turn to Matthew 19, and I want to make two points out of one illustration here. Another thing that people bring is a great train. And uh, again, we're talking about things that are valuable to them and things they can't let go of them and things that hinder them coming to the kingdom is riches. And when I say riches, and not only rich in a monetary sense, but rich as far as fame and things go. Okay. Chapter 19, verse 16. One came unto Jesus and said, Good Master, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto him, Why do you call me good? There's none good one. That's God. If you will, enter in life, keep the commandments. I'm not going to read all that for time's sake, but Jesus basically in verse 18 and 19 gave him the six of the ten commandments that pertain to how we treat our neighbor. The young man said unto him, All these I've kept my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If you'll be perfect, go and sell you have. Give to the poor you'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. When the young man heard that, he went saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter in the kingdom of heaven. But again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, here again is something that can be a great hindrance, and indeed is. Something that is very valuable to people that they are unwilling to relinquish in order to come to Christ. Again, just think back to the similitude we're talking about. This queen came with a very great train of very valuable commodities and things. 
to give to Solomon in that regard. And sinners hold on to these things that they bring when they come to Christ, and until they let go of them, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. You can't have Christ on one hand and all your baggage on the other. That's not the way it works. Christ came to redeem sinners. Now, he can save a rich sinner or a poor sinner. I'm not making that point at all. But like the rich young ruler here, you know, and Jesus said it himself, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of needle. Well, I mean, that tells you what kind of baggage there is with people who have assets, wealth, power, influence, popularity, you know, fame, fortune. Instead of taking you to God, it takes you away from God, further separates in that respect. And at the same time, the other point I want to make is, and of course, Paul told Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. You know, I mean, you know, the problems with that, that they need to submit to God. First Timothy 6, 17, I believe is that scripture. But notice again, the self-righteousness of, and again, riches are self-righteous. It's in a different form, right? Okay. Because a person is wealthy, they think very highly of themselves. Well, think of it again. Okay, Here, here's a person who is poor, and tomorrow he's a millionaire. Is that person different? No. It's the same person tomorrow as he was yesterday. Only difference is the material possessions. He hadn't changed. The person hadn't changed. And if he does change, it'll be changed for the worse because of his circumstances. Wealth can do that. It doesn't have to, but it tends to. Not that wealth is bad or money is bad, but the people who have it are corrupted. Again, it's not money is bad. It's the love of money. Well, where's the love of money? That's in the sinner's heart. That's that clenched fist holding on to something. On the other hand, this man's self-righteousness extended not only from wealth, but also to his own deluded self-righteousness of obedience. When Jesus told him those six things, of course, Jesus already knew this individual inside and out. He knew more about him than he knew about himself, just like he knows all about us, more than we know about ourselves. He gave him them six commandments, and the young man said, and this is so very sad, it's so very sad, but this is the way we think. We're wrong, but it's the way sinners think. It's their mentality. All these things I've kept from my youth up. What do I like? Not only have I done that, I've always done that. He was deluded. He was deceived. He thought he had. He thought, I suppose, he was probably the most obedient person walking around on the planet. If he had done all these things from a child unto adulthood or young young man... I don't like anything when it comes to obedience. He liked everything. It's a delusion. It's a deception. Jesus knew that. That's why he told him, sell everything you got in prayer. Prove it. Then we'll see if you love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You couldn't do it. But again, good works. Good works. Relying on good works. 
And this is what it boils down to in a sense. These things overlap, but it all constitutes self-righteousness of a sort. Either who I am, what I have, or what I've done. You got it? Some form or some overlapping, that's all sinners, you know. And you could pursue this a little bit further with, and I won't go there to read it for time's sake, but the public and the Pharisee went down to the temple to pray in Luke 18. What did the Pharisee say? I'm, I thank God I'm not as this man. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I don't do that. I don't, you know, I, 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 works of self-righteousness. Luke 15, the prodigal's brother. You know, the elder brother, remember, that didn't go running off and spend all of his stuff. He got mad when the brother come home. He said, well, I, I've done this, I've done that, I've served you, I've this, I've that, right? All what I've done, self-righteousness. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy, He saved us. The Bible says, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not what we bring to God. In fact, He told Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, I'm tired of your religious junk you're bringing to me. Come with a penitent heart. Well, having considered this and all these different things that make up trains of stuff that sinners bring... What does the Bible tell us to do? Let it go. Give it up. Don't hold on to stuff like that. No matter what it is. Jesus put it in these words. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not, water, is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. If you're not willing to give it all up, then Christ says, I'm not for you. I require you give everything up. I require me be first place. And that you don't love anything like you love me. And again, all this stuff we discuss is what people love. That young man loved not only his money, but he loved his works, his deeds, right? Whether it's Jew or Gentile, they love their rites, their ceremonies, what they're doing. And none of this, this is all just a big train that needs to be disposed of. Again, come only laden with sins. Jesus came to save sinners. Did he not? Call, he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there's a beautiful illustration of this. I think rather than try to read it, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's in Luke 7. It's when Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee having a supper, and a woman of the city, it says, who was a sinner, came. You remember the story. Had a box of ointment and anointed him with it, stayed behind him as he reclined, sitting on whatever kind of cushion or was they sit in. Your feet were naturally behind you. She came behind him. Well, washed his feet with the tears of her face and dried them with the hairs of her head. And Jesus gave a little lesson to Simon the Pharisee who was thinking over there if he knew who this woman was and how, and what a sinner she was, he wouldn't even let her touch him, you know. And just a marvelous, marvelous thing there, you know, the narrative is. But after the story, Jesus said that her sins were many. And she brought 
a very expensive deal of ointment and sacrifice to him. And I just want to, in closing here, you get the illustration. The queen was somebody and had a lot, and she brought a lot. That woman was a nobody. And she didn't have a lot, but wherever she got that, it was all she had. And she gave it all. You see the difference? Big difference. It, and this is a deception. A millionaire could give $100,000, and boy, they've really done something. But when Jesus watched people, he said the widow that threw in two mites had given the most. Because she didn't have but two mites to give. And that's the message of the gospel is that come as you are, but give everything you have. Give yourself as a sinner. Don't bring gifts, self-righteousness and things like that. And Jesus looked at that woman and said, your sins are forgiven. So, let's close with this thought. And it's a very good thought. So don't let me lose you. This was a very good thing, what the Queen of Sheba did, was it not? And my question is this, what was all of this to Solomon, what she brought him? Well, it was obviously a very kind gesture, wasn't it? We might also say it was expected. It was what we would say an obligatory gesture. Because if you're going to come into the presence of somebody that amounts to anything, especially if they're bigger than you are, you better bring a gift, right? I mean, that was just the way it was done. But there's an old saying that I want to apply here that we're all familiar with, and a lot of times it pops up as a big problem with people at Christmas time. And they fret and worry and stress over this. What do you give to somebody that has it all? What a dilemma. Well, now the Queen of Sheba is bringing all this, but she's bringing it to somebody that's more wealthy than she is. Got more gold than she's got. Her spices may be very unique, but whatever there is to be had, Solomon's got it. What do you bring to impress somebody that's of that stature and status? Well, let's apply that to sinners coming to God. What in the world can a sinner bring to impress God? Nothing. It's all his anyway. Right? God's not impressed with anything we bring. But again, the gospel message is so simple. Come as you are. Sinners, come. Don't bring me something loaded down with your self-righteousness or your popularity or your riches or your success or your intellect. I don't need, don't want any of that. Sinners, come laden with sins. That's what I'm for. It is so reverse, isn't it, of what we want to do and what we do do as sinners. Come, confess your sins, repent and believe. You'll be accepted, you'll be forgiven, you'll be pardoned, you'll have peace, you'll have forgiveness, you'll have the gift of eternal life. 
Come as you are. And again, this all boils down to this. It's not what we bring. It's what He gives. And in the end, that's going to be the story of Solomon. You think, you think that woman's going to go back rejoicing in all she gave Solomon? No, there toward the end, sounds like he gave her more than she gave him. He was more capable of doing that, and he did that. And we'll get to that too, another marvelous part of the story. Can I read a scripture and we'll wrap this up? Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 5. Here, uh, here we have a summarization pretty much of John the Baptist and his ministry. And it says here, There went out unto him all the land of Judea, they of Jerusalem, and were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's it. Come to Christ confessing your sins, don't bring anything, and you'll get the ultimate blessing. That's it. That's the promise of the gospel. If you deny your sin, or you bring anything but your sin, you're going to go away empty-handed. And I can only say from my own experience, and I'm sure those of you who believe today can say too, I'm so glad that God by His grace when he converted me, that I had to let go of all that other stuff. You can't depend no thing, no experience, no works, no nothing. Literally, when we come to the straight gate, we got to get stripped down yeah. to nothing. And that's who Christ came to say, just sinners. God bless that to your hearing.